Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. What's up, what's up, y'all? Welcome to the latest episode of Tamarindo. Yes, today we are celebrating the kickoff of Immigrant Heritage Month, which is June, but it's also Pride Month. It's a, it's an we're important ce- month. We're celebrating, um, well, us and me and just... I celebrate the, Pride. Uh, yeah. Every, yeah, we celebrate everything. <laughs> everything, it's, everything, it's everything, everything. And we're here. <laughs> and I'm queer. <laughs> yes! Love it, love it, love it. Bueno, Ana Sheila, ¿cómo estás? I'm good. I mean, this is a long weekend, so just excited to just relax and work, which happens when you're an op- entrepreneur. You just kind of get to decide how you slot in your como tus, tus break times y tu work. But, you know, I'm h- grateful to get to create my own schedule. Ah, that's the best part. Yeah. Speaking what about you? Of, speaking of entrepreneurs, I hung out with friend of the pod, Char- Charlie. I'm, I'm, my, my immigrant comes out. Carly, um, who is a money coach. They are such great energy. They've been on this podcast. We had an episode with them that you got to do in, in Mexico person. City. In Mexico it's beautiful. City. I, and this is my first time meeting Charlie in person. I got to hang out with them. And so that, that's what's like, my, my que pasa is that, just getting able, able to build community in person with yes. our La Tamarindo Amigis, folks that have been on the pod or our friends of the pod. It's always so much fun. So that's my que pasa. Let me tell you who we've got today. So today we have two guests, two guests who are immigrants because we're celebrating celebrating Immigrant Heritage Month. And both of these gals are working towards building a more inclusive community. And Ashayla, tell the listeners about one of our guests. Yes. So we're going to hear from Lady Rangel from the United Farmworks Foundation, a nonprofit that empowers and advocates for immigrants and farm workers. Lady moved to the U.S. in 2004, grew up as an undocumented immigrant, and has been protected from deportation as a DACA recipient since 2013. We'll learn more about her work and ways that we can get involved. Thank you for your help with that, Ana Sheila. So before we before we do that, we're speaking to Sadia Khan, founder, producer, and host of an award-winning podcast, Immigrantly, that is part of the Sonoro Media Familia. So she's a prima. She's a, a prima. <laughs> <laughs> and Sadia has worked with organizations like Human Rights First, UN Women, and other UN entities advocating for women's rights and justice. This is a delightful conversation all about our immigrant superpower and more. So let's hear from Sadia now. Welcome, Sadia, to Tamarindo. It's so good to have you here. Thank you, Brenda. I am so excited to be here. Yes, it's wonderful. Um, First of all, I would love for you to tell the listeners in your own words, what do you do and what is your why? Uh, I am an immigrant, first and foremost. I am a podcaster, a rights activist, a social entrepreneur, a mom. And why? Because I believe in the power of storytelling. And I also think that it's important for folks whose lived experiences they are to reclaim their narratives. Um, That's my why for the podcasts that I do, Immigrantly and Invisible Hate. Yeah, um, I'd love to know the origin story of Immigrantly, the podcast that is also on Sonoro with like Tamarindo. Tell us like what's the... What was the vision behind the podcast? I know you've been doing it for several years now. Talk to us a little bit about that podcast. Oh, my gosh. So um, this may sound cliched, but um, Immigrantly was a reaction to 2016 elections. So I am a rights activist. I was working with a small civil society organization at the time. We used to do a lot of work with UN women and UN entities, but my focus was global in nature, right? Uh, And then 2016 elections happened and I'm a huge podcast listener. I feel it is such a personal, vulnerable um, space to learn, unlearn in your own time. And I was just so frustrated with all the stories that we were hearing about immigrants and people of color and BIPOC community in general. And I felt I couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. And I decided to jump right in and start a podcast. Um, Fun fact, Immigrantly started as the Alien Chronicles. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but the idea was that I could reclaim the term alien 
never happened. It's too toxic for reclamation. <laughs> so we switched to Immigrantly a year in. And yes, it's been a wild, interesting, introspective, messy journey. It's been four years. And we recently launched another podcast in collaboration with Refilion Media. It's called Invisible Hate, which basically focuses on injustices against minority groups. So it's uh, mainly hate crimes that are perpetrated against uh, minorities in America. Yeah, your origin story is very much Tamarinda's origin story. We also started in 2016. I was a huge podcast listener and just out of the frustration of the narrative. And it's wild to think that we are in 2023 and not much has happened in terms of positive ways that, that, that immigrants are framed. Like they, they, there's still so much work that needs to be done. So it's so important that you continue to have this podcast and that you have other efforts and that you use your platform. What do you, what do you feel about the state of immigrants today and the way communities are um, talked about in mainstream media? You know what, Brenda? I feel like America has always had this love-hate relationship with immigrant identity, right? You can go as far back in history as you want, and you'll see every new wave of immigrants have been mistreated in America, although we call it land of opportunities, a place, you know, it is an immigrant country, and yet uh, immigrants are othered. Now, people may know... People may not know this, but there are more than 40 million immigrants in America. There are 18 million folks who have one parent who is born outside the U.S., and yet we are othered. So I think that has still not changed in the mainstream media or American social and political discourse. But what's changing is that immigrants are reclaiming their narratives, and they have platforms and they have identity that they are asserting. So that's a paradigm shift. People like me, I am an immigrant. I have an accent. I never thought that I would have a podcast and people will come back every week to listen to my stories and then your podcast, right? So there is a paradigm shift of how we we are saying enough is enough. We are going to reclaim our narratives. We are going to tell our stories in the most authentic and unapologetic way. And here we are doing that right now. Yes, absolutely. As you're describing this, I mean, I think that you, this sort of conflict of like America is the land of immigrants and we know that the immigrants have always been part of this, this community, yet there's this vitriol about immigrants. And now we're reclaiming, now immigrants are taking the mic and reclaiming. As you're describing this, I'm, I'm also trying to think about what that looks like internally. Have you, um, think about your your own personal experience. Have you experienced a paradigm shift of, of uh, at least for, for me, it's been this way that I have see my immigrant experience as a superpower. I see the fact that I'm, and it used to be viewed as a deficiency that I'm not quite Mexican and not quite American, but now I see it as, wow, I'm actually both. And that's, it's a surplus. It's a plus. So have you had that sort of internal shift yourself? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I don't know when it started for you, but this is crazy for me. It started once I launched my podcast. So I started so slowly but surely accepting parts of my identity that I thought were embarrassing or that people would not ex- accept, right? So I'm a Muslim woman of color. I am a Pakistani immigrant. And there are a lot of misconceptions about Muslim identity in America, Pakistani identity in America. And once I started my podcast, I just started talking about my inner fears and vulnerabilities and strengths and weaknesses. And the platform just gave me, as you said, this superpower to be myself unapologetically. And it is such an invigorating and emancipating feeling. You know, what else is interesting is ever since I have fully accepted myself and I talk about my identity proudly, I have also come to accept my Americanness more. And I don't know if that happened to you, but before this, I was also shy to accept my Americanness because I always felt like an outsider, full outsider. I was like, you know what? I'm not really American. And now I am at 
crossroads where I'm like, no, I am American and Pakistani and Muslim and a woman of color and so much more, right? So I don't know if that happened to you. Did you start ex- at least accepting your Americanness more? Yes. I mean, I think, too, one of the things that happens when you when you navigate these worlds, where there's always this, in Spanish, there's like this concept of ni da aquí, ni da allá. You're not from here, you're not from there. And I'm sure... That, that feeling translates for immigrants, no matter who, you know, whether it's in Spanish yeah. or any language. And um, I think that now, and Anna Shayla, my podcast partner, we're both immigrants. And we, we've talked about how, like, it's, so, it's sort of a, um, a beautiful thing that we get to pick and choose the parts that we love about being American, the parts that we love about our, our immigrant experience, the parts we love about being Mexican. And we get to invent and create this wonderful, beautiful, accepting, inviting experience. So um, I do do see there's certain things that I love about the fact that I'm from California, that I'm from Los Angeles, and I get to claim right. those places and what that means. That, that like here's a very like an example that's coming to mind. I feel like in Los Angeles, we have this privilege that we have better Mexican food than Mexico. The reason is that we get to access uh, Mexican food from all regions of the country here in the U.S. because there's so many, here in L.A. because there's so many immigrants from different communities. So if you're in Mexico, you're not going to get the food from the whole country of Mexico at, at, you know, a short drive away. And here in L.A., you get to have that. So there's that beauty of like just um, accepting our Americanness as well. So yeah, I love that you brought that up. Um, as you're t- speaking to other immigrants and your guests on your on your show, um, what have been some of the more powerful conversations or the big takeaways or the learnings that you've had on this podcast? So surprisingly, I've had more second generation kids of immigrants on my show than immigrants. And there is this through line that I see with immigrant or second gen identity, which is navigating all these different identities and different worlds, right? And there is this beautiful story. Every time I sit down with with second gen kids, I hear how they are initially not sure how to accept that part of their identity, which is not as American. And then eventually they come around and that beautiful journey of evolution and accepting it and asserting it is such an interesting journey. And as you said, there are so many different parts of our identities that we don't recognize because of fear of judgment. And once we are over that hump or whatever that, um, I guess, uh, I don't know, that road bump is, we feel so much better. So that's a true line that I've noticed with all immigrants, second gen kids of immigrants. But other than that, as I said, there is a paradigm shift because a lot of second gen kids, especially are seeing faces that look like them in mainstream media, in American pop culture, which was not happening, say, 20 years ago, right? So the generation that's growing up now and our young adults now, they can relate to those conversations, they can relate to those identities, and they feel a little more comfortable. And I can say that about my kids who are teenagers Because they see that in American pop culture and they are able to see other people asserting their identities unapologetically, they are more comfortable in their own skin and they are more comfortable in owning those parts of their identity versus, I guess, second gen kids who were born and raised in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there has been a paradigm shift in that, which is awesome. And something else that I want to point out, Brenda, which as I was thinking of this interview, it just popped up. And I was like, you know, people talk about immigrants in so many different iterations, but very few people talk about the immigrant identity as an all-encompassing embodiment of strength and adventure. Mm -hmm. All of us are adventurers at the end of the day, right? Leaving your home country, leaving your country of origin, uprooting yourself, going to a new country and evolving and adapting with it is a feat in itself, right? And a lot of people don't even think of immigrants as risk takers. Yeah, when they're doing something absolutely remarkable. Yeah, I love that. You really put that in a beautiful way. 
Uh, and what is your immigrant story? When, uh, where did you, where were you born? How did you uh, arrive? Where are you, where, where do you live currently? What's your story? So I will go back in time uh, to the 70s when my dad came to the U.S. He was this young engineer from Pakistan, came to the U.S., started working here, loved every minute of it. But then he had to go back to fulfill his familiar responsibilities, which obviously coming from a collectivist society, family was always at the center of everything that he did and still does. But when he went back, he missed America. So when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s, my dad would have these incredible stories about America being a meritocracy, which it isn't, but my dad thought it is. He bought in, he bought in. (laughs) Yeah, he did. And then the American dream, which he bought in, because let's face it, I mean, let's, it's like he also had a lot of privileges that many immigrants don't. But anyways, so he would tell us all these incredible stories. I grew up with those stories about America. So when I came in early 2000s with my husband, I had just gotten married and we came here for college. I had all those you know, preconceived notions about America. And I felt and I thought that when I landed in America, people would accept me with open arms, right? And everybody is will be welcoming and nice. But this was post 9-11 era. So America was already very paranoid. America was resentful. America was angry at folks like me. Um, again, being Muslim, coming from Pakistan, my identity was looked at very differently. And initially, honestly, I didn't care because I was here on my own adventure and I was focused on other things. And I thought, we'll go back. I wasn't, we weren't planning to stay here forever. But then we did. And I had my kids. And once I had my kids, everything changed. You know, the stakes became higher. And I felt that more than for myself, I had to be more mindful of how people treat us for my kids, because this is their home. And then every microaggression seemed more annoying and everything was more palpable almost. Um, And that's why I went back to grad school, did my master's in human rights, international relations, decided to work in activism ecosystem because I wanted to make a difference, right? And then obviously 2016 elections happened and everything changed. But I think for me that inflection point was 2016 elections because I felt no matter how privileged we are and how much we have achieved, quote unquote, the American dream, I don't think there is any such thing as an American dream. But, you know, for some people there is. We can be othered in an instant. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. And that was a watershed moment. It was a disappointing realization. But once I I realized that, I knew I couldn't sit on the sidelines. So my immigrant story is a story of privilege. It's a story of evolution, of adaption, um, of introspection, and now of assertion. Yeah, wonderful. Very, very well put. Well, um, this has been a wonderful conversation and, and we can't wait to continue to listen to your to your podcast. Um, and I know listeners, I hope you all are all excited to listen to Immigrantly. Now I'm going to transition to our rapid fire fun questions. And usually they, they, uh-huh. they, I think they're fun. We think they're fun. So the first question is very simple. It's what is one thing you're celebrating? And it could be a big thing, a small thing. And what we do is we play this Mexican sound maker. I'm trying to see if I have it here. I don't actually do. Yes. Mexican sound makers called a matraca. <laughs> and so <laughs> you tell us what is the, 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 the one thing you're celebrating? Oh, right now, spring. Oh, yes, you're in New York, right? (laughs) Spring. Yes, I am in New York. New York looks beautiful. It's green and it's it's bright and sunny. So yeah, spring. Yes, matraca to spring in New York. We're still having gloomy weather here in LA, so it's very strange. We we had a very strange, strange uh, year so far. Lots of rain. Very uncharacteristic. Now, this one can be very fun. What is one thing that you are done with that you want to cancel that you 
just are putting in la basura. In other words, you're putting it in the trash. What are you putting in la basura? Yeah, one-dimensional stories about immigrants and somebody else's telling us who we are. I'm mm. putting that in trash. Absolutely. One-dimensional stories about immigrants, yes, or others de defining us. Absolutely, yes, that goes in la basura. And then um, <laughs> our, our third question is, how do you stay grounded? What is one way that you center yourself, that you get what we call your calma, so you get to have some calmness in your life? Oh, I do... I go on these regular hikes, something that I started doing recently, obviously, because of spring, spring has sprung. And I go on these regular hikes, I connect with nature, and it is such a beautiful, in introspective time. And then I do that with my husband. So we get to talk a lot. And then I meditate. And I'm a spiritual person. So I pray whenever I'm feeling down or I'm scared and or I'm worried. So a mix of a lot of things. Beautiful. That's a wonderful way to stay grounded. Now, where can people follow you and follow the podcast? What's the best way to keep keep up with you? So you can follow the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, right? So you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. It's called Immigrantly. Um, you can also find my other podcast, Invisible Hate, there. And you can follow me on Twitter at S-W-K-K-H-A-N. And you can follow Immigrantly on Twitter at Immigrantly underscore pod. And then we are on Instagram, TikTok, just, just all the places. Look up Immigrantly <laughs> Podcast and you'll find us everywhere. Even on YouTube, we have a very basic, small presence on YouTube. Wonderful. Yes, we're just entering the YouTube space ourselves. Well, this, this has been absolutely lovely. I hope you have a beautiful weekend. And thank you so much for spending time with us on Tamarindo. Thank you, Brenda. This was great. I love speaking to Sadia. She really talks about immigrants as, you know, our immigrant experience as a superpower. And I'd love to reflect on that a little bit. So if you were to say, what is your immigrant superpower? What would you say? Um, I mean, I think I've got more than one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I would say my perspective, like having a much broader perspective and, and therefore I think empathy a lot too. I think it's easier for a lot of us to have more empathy because we understand more than one experience, right? Um, adaptability. I feel like as an immigrant, you're just like used to moving around. Moving around is so easy. It feels so easy to me. And so I think adaptability. So that's what I would say. Perspective, empathy, adaptability. Those are a few. Very cool. Very what wonderful superpowers. Yes. What about um, you, Brenda? I mean, I think as we talked a little bit with Sadia, it's the, we, we've all, those of us that are in this space that are immigrants and that are holding a mic in front of our faces, we're, we're starting to see this experience as an asset. It's there's there's reasons why there could be this feeling of of um, of a deficit or like nida aquí nida ya insufficient in both places. But now the more and more that we're we are cherishing and treasuring our immigrant experience, the more it feels like an asset, mm -hmm. like a plus, like a this is not a negative. This is a like you might have heard of this expression, the two hundred percent. That's us, yeah. the two hundred percent, because we're one hundred percent Latino and one hundred percent American. So we're two hundred percent. It's not fifty fifty. It's 200%. And I love that. Like, how do you feel about thinking about it as, as yeah. not a deficit? No, 100%. I mean, I feel like a lot of us have made that shift of, of no longer feeling ni de aquí ni de allá and now feeling soy de aquí y de allá and how beautiful it is and how powerful it is. And I think I wrote a post about this exact same thing and I said those exact same things. And it was, I mean, it resonated so much with folks because we're, we're feeling like that. And it was interesting going back to Mexico, you know, and living there. I think, you know, in the past when I would go, I wanted so much to feel as Mexican as them, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted them to just think that I was Mexican. I remember at the beginning of my time moving to Mexico City, I wanted to sort of pass as Mexican, right? And then there was a point that I felt like, you know, people didn't didn't know anymore and that was really cool and I felt very special. Like, mira mi, mi español, like now like I can fit in. <laughs> but at the same but at the same time, I stopped wanting to be. I was never going to be Mexican in the same way they were Mexican, but I but I stopped seeing that as a as a deficit even while I was there. I was like, "Wow, what's really beautiful is that I'm bringing this perspective I'm, that I'm bringing because I lived in the U.S. and I'm bringing it here. And I noticed it feeling like 
like more perspective um, and, and like an asset. And it was really beautiful to see that and, and to stop wanting to be Mexican like the Mexicans in Mexico were. And that felt like a powerful thing that I brought back with me when I moved back here to L.A. Yeah. And just treasuring your identity as it is. Right? As it is. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. reflections. So thank you for ha having this exercise with us, with me and the listeners, as we are reflecting on the kicking off of Immigrant Heritage Month. So continuing on here, our next conversation with immigrant leaders is with Lady Rangel from the United Farm Workers Foundation. She's going to tell us a little bit more about her work and the ways that we can get involved. I would love to welcome you, Lady Tetamarindo. So good to have you here. I'm very excited to be here, Brenda. Muchas gracias. Would you please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about your why? Why do you do what you do? Yes. Yeah, so my name is Lady Rangel, and um, I am the communications director for UFW Foundation. We're a nonprofit that provides resources to farm workers and immigrants and other Latinos in rural communities. And the work that I do is more than just academic or professional for me, it's uh, personal. I come from a family of farm workers. I grew up undocumented. I still have, you know, I, my family is still mixed status, which means, you know, some of us have some sort of legal status and then some of us don't. Um, and the work that I do is is to honor my my parents, my family, who you know are farm workers, have been farm workers for many many years. I worked in the fields myself, so I know the hard hard work that it takes to be a farm worker to feed this country. And I think it's important to elevate the voices of the people that feed us. Yeah, thank you so much for for sharing that personal background. And for folks that maybe aren't super familiar with the history of UFW Foundation. Maybe that confuse it with UFW, the, the the union. Tell us a little bit about the difference between the two and what the foundation works on today. Yes. So the UFW, of course, is a labor union. You know, they go way back, founded by Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. And, um, you know, they've been around for a very, very long time. And um, the UFW Foundation, we were founded in 2008. And so for, you know, more than 15 years, we've been trying to uh, just become an organization that has that provides assistance to immigrants and farm workers, like I said. Um, and so the, really the main the only biggest difference that we have is that we are a nonprofit where the UFW or the, la the labor union is not a nonprofit. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's about it really, because when it comes to our advocacy, we're fighting for the same things. Um, we're fighting for the same labor protections, the same immigration reform. And, um, you know, we work very closely together. They are still our sister organization and we fall under what we call the farmer movement along with many other organizations, such as also the Cesar Chavez Foundation. Yeah, thank you for walking us through that distinction. So we are kicking off Immigrant Month in June, starting real soon. And you mentioned already that a lot of the folks that you all serve are immigrant communities, and your personal history as an immigrant is part of what drew you into the role that you're in. Can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe the types of services that the UFW Foundation provides, and what are the needs that you're seeing right now when it comes to immigrant communities? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is a very, very crucial part of the work that we do here is, again, giving resources and assistance to farm workers. Um, over the last couple of years, we've done uh, food distribution events. We've partnered up with World Central Kitchen, uh, founded by Chef Jose Andres, to distribute culturally appropriate meals to farm workers and other folks in rural communities during the pandemic. And I mean, we distributed hundreds of thousands of meals. Um, I remember the first distribution we had was at the 40 acres in Delano, which is where the farm worker movement, um, you know, really started. It's it's its home. And um, the line for for food that we were seeing, I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of cars lining up and um, you know, at the end, you know, the, the need was so vast that we had to turn cars away and tell them that we ran out of food. I remember there was this farm worker that came in his bike um, to try and get 
food and you know he waited um i don't know how long but you know he was waiting out in the sun just waiting for him to be able to get some meals um so we do food distributions we do uh mass distributions we've also done pandemic relief which includes uh you know all of this ppe and person you know personal protective equipment but also um we have uh provided financial assistance to farm workers so in 2020 when the state of california did its program to provide some financial assistance to undocumented folks we were one of 12 organizations that ran that program and distributed millions of of dollars back into the hands of farm workers because you know we know this is really important farm workers who are undocumented don't have any sort of safety net in terms you know when it comes to receiving assistance from the federal government so they never received stimulus checks um, and they were really left to fend on their own. Um, and so that's one of the financial assistance programs that we've had. And then starting this year, we started with a new program called the Farm and Food Workers Relief Program, which is a USDA program. And they selected 15 organizations to distribute a one-time $600 payment to farm workers, uh, to agricultural and food workers um, for you know, all that they have endured as essential workers laboring throughout the pandemic. Um, and so we're very proud to have, you know, launched this program because we were one of, you know, this was one of our big projects. We advocated and pushed the USDA and the federal government to finally give back to farm workers because they haven't done so for so long. Um, I mean, it's really, it, it it's really, uh, Rages when you really think about it, right? Yeah. Uh, they've given billions of dollars to agricultural employers and they've never given money back to farm workers, the actual people who are laboring in the fields. Um, and, uh, and so we've, we, you know, we succeeded in, in, uh, in getting the federal government to do something. And now it came in the hands in the form of, of the Farm and Food Workers Relief Program. So we've been running this program. So, we do a lot. We also do immigration. We provide immigration legal services uh, free or um, also low cost. Um, we have offices in California and in Arizona where we do that, um, that, that, that work. And, you know, at the federal and statewide levels, we also push for uh, immigration policies that would benefit our communities and keep them protected and, you know, ultimately um, provide them with the safety that they deserve. Yeah, thank you for walking us through that. I know there was recently a report that uh, noted how many farm workers and their children are cut out from federal aid programs that feed people. And when you think about it, it's infuriating because it's farm workers that fed us and continue to feed us and always feed us. And and so it's a it's a really um, heartbreaking to think that they go hungry. And it's really important that we have the UFW Foundation addressing that. What is a, one way that our listeners can get involved and can support your work? You know, I, I love this question because I think it's so easy for you to, everyone who's listening to get involved. And it really just starts by following us on social media, right? Um, obviously, if you have the opportunity, if you're in a place to donate, we also welcome donations. You can do that by going on our website at ufwfoundation.org um, and, you know, engage with us online. You know, we're always um, looking for new students or folks that want to get involved and um, come on and volunteer with us. And, you know, we really take pride in being a student and volunteer and farm worker led organization. And so, um, you can start there by following us on our social medias. We're uh, on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're at UFW Foundation. So, you know, you can find us there. Fantastic. I have just one more question for you. Sometimes we, we get a chance to talk to our guests about um, some fun questions, some rapid fire questions. And, and I'm going to ask you just one of them because I know that your, your work is so important and, and you already shared your personal story of, of being a DACA recipient. You know, this is very personal to you. What are some of the ways with, with all that we get to see on the news, how do you stay grounded? What is one way that you get some calma in your life? I love camping and hiking and I live in the desert. I, I'm in the Coachella Valley. So, you know, we have a lot of really cool hiking spots and desert areas. So, 
I, I love spending time outdoors and just letting my my mind take a break from being online and being on the computer for so long. So that's my favorite favorite way to really stay grounded. Yes, and you live in such a beautiful part of California, just gorgeous space. Um, well, thank you so much, lady, for joining us here in Tamarindo, letting us know a little bit more about the UFW Foundation. We're going to put in our show notes for this episode the link so that folks can get involved. And I just want to thank you again for being here. Muchas gracias. It was really exciting, and I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here. All right. We hope listeners appreciated hearing from Lady. I loved hearing her personal story and I loved hearing how we could support the United Farm Workers, especially when it's farm workers that feed us. And it's too, it's a shame. It's beyond a shame that farm workers go hungry. So absolutely love their work. And now it's time for our rapid fire, you know, how we close this thing here. So Ana Sheila, what is your matraca? This so week? my matraca, I'm giving my matraca to the organizing that's happening at my alma mater. We actually have shirts that we made Fui that, a Stanford, a Stanford. It, with that says um, it's a Stanford is spelled with an E and accent and there's no D in it. It's you know, it's worse than if you had gone to Yale, you know, because they say Yale. I went to Yale. So <laughs> I went to Yale. Stanford. <laughs> yes, I went to Stanford. And um, yeah, so there's some organizing happening around the, the center that for, for, for Latinos that traditionally was called El Centro Chicano while I was there. Ah, uh, yes. And so there's yes. a lot of organizing that's been happening. They changed it now to El Centro Chicano and Latino, but students are wanting more and students are, are, are protesting and asking to have their voices heard more, to have the name changed again, to have some murals that are offensive to indigenous folks and, and are as representative of other identities um, updated. Oh, I yeah. didn't even know there's some harmful murals there. Yeah, so they're asking and they're asking for the center to be more inclusive um, of different identities, of LGBTQ plus identities, as well as um, black and indigenous Latinos. Because, and, and I have to say, and, and you know, I was there over a decade ago, but while I was there, I definitely, it was, it was weird and I was Mexican, right? But I was like, this is weird that this is the only center that we have for, for students that are Latino Americans, Latina Americans, it, when it feels so Mexican centric. And mm -hmm. it sounds like not enough has changed for students and students are organizing and asking for more change. And I think I'm really proud of them. And I, and I don't, and I can't speak on the, I'm sure there's, you know, people feel different ways about how it's been done. But I think it's important that this is happening. So I'm giving them a traca that, so that this is happening and I'm hoping for more change. I think that, um, yeah, I, the, the centro should feel more inclusive and it, and, and it shouldn't feel so Mexican-centric. Mexican so I agree with that and I'm excited to see what happens from this. So matraca to the students for organizing. Yeah. And, yes. and, and well, well, the last thing I'll say is that like, and, and I'm proud of them, especially because when I was there, I didn't feel comfortable enough in my own skin to to do this kind of organizing and the stand up for different voices. Because when I was there, I felt so, um, I guess, preoccupied with just trying to fit in to Stanford that I didn't even get involved with El Centro Chicano until my senior year because I didn't want to be seen as so Mexican. I wanted to just fit in into this institution that was primarily white, right? And so it's it's just beautiful to see folks just, you know, just come stand, full circle. Full yeah. circle and being their full selves and standing up for what they believe in. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, my matraca is not at all as cool as yours. <laughs> my matraca goes to I don't know if you heard about this, but it, it's a been bit. in the news lately that orca whales have been sinking ships. They've been purposely using their body to attack what? ships. And there's rumors that it could be that they're um, basically seeking revenge because they've been attacked by ships. <laughs> that's the narrative wow, that's out okay, there. Okay, okay. And there's a lot of memes out there. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm with the orcas. Okay. And I'm kind of giving they're them fighting a, back. Yeah, and they're fighting back. So <laughs> I got to celebrate that. But I, it, it just the whole um, the conversations around this it triggered a few memories. One is, this is crazy, but when I was a little kid, I remember, I, I don't know what the assignment was. This was in second grade, but we were supposed to draw something. And what I drew was um, an ocean uh, that was red because it was blood. And I drew orcas and I drew dolphins and I drew sharks. And I said, this is, this is the earth mad at us because of, you know, pollution. Yeah. <laughs> my, I remember my teacher was like, damn, that's morbid. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's coming true, you know, maybe it's yeah. coming true that orcas are taking, are coming, fighting back. But then the other memory that this triggered is that 
Um, I, I would spend my summers going to my grandparents' house. I love my grandparents. I mean, they, they rest in peace, right? Both of them, but just like, like they basically raised me from zero to five. And then every other summer I would spend time with them in Mexico. So they mean so much to me. But one of the weird things that they had at their house, they had um, a few VHSs. And one uh -huh. of them was called Orca the Killer Whale. Uh -huh. I don't know if people have seen this movie, but it, it actually came out before, I think before Jaws, because it came out in 1977. I guess I have to, oh, shoot. I have to okay. look it up to see which came first. But the story there is about an orca. I believe this this is fuzzy because I have not seen this movie since, since I don't know, who knows how long. Definitely over 30 years. Um, but something about orcas seeking revenge. I think there's like a mama orca and a dad orca and a baby orca. And I think the... I think like the dad and baby die and then the mama like seeks revenge. I don't know. But these are the things that I'm thinking as, <laughs> yeah. I'm, as I'm hearing this so, news about Las, Las Orcas. So you've been into these orcas for your whole life. I guess so. You know, you remember Free Willy? I well, mean, I was, I literally, and his name was Keiko. I literally was was about to ask you if the whale in Free Willy was, was an orca. That was a good ass that movie. That was an orca <laughs> and it specifically was a Mexican was a orca. Oh, it was a Mexican orca that. named Keiko that lived in... Reina Ventura. I don't have okay. you ever been to Reina Ventura? No, I haven't. That is now Six Flags, but it's the oh. it's a theme park in Mexico City okay, called okay. Reina Ventura. And it, it was shocking when I first actually saw Keiko, the captured whale, because it had that um, like its fin was all crooked because it was in captivity and like it was part of the tragedy. Oh, that's so, so Free sad. Willy was very real. Yeah. So anyway, shout out to all of us that were born in 1983 that can relate to these orca stories. <laughs> all right. So Ana Sheila, what goes in la basura? In la basura. I mean, we're going to Pride Month and just putting in the basura all the hateful people that are like basically harassing store employees at different stores that are carrying Pride merchandise and forcing these stores to then discontinue or move their stuff to the back in order to protect their their employees. And and I've also seen, you know, like um, LGBTQ plus um, like businesses who make this merch who are struggling because of what's happening. It's particularly in, in southern in southern states. So, I mean, at this point, I don't I don't wear like a lot of rainbow stuff anymore to Pride or anything like that. But I do remember when I was first coming out, like how excited I actually was to get some rainbow merch. Get your gear. Yeah. yeah. And so like there's still people that, you know, that this means a lot to and, and, and buy this and, and especially around this month. So it's, it's really sad that how this is affecting employees that are being harassed, how this is affecting LGBTQ plus businesses and also the, the patrons that want to want to buy this stuff. Right. Yeah, I, complete garbage. Have, uh, there's just what's happening all over the country. This yeah. this uh, horrible, nasty, anti queer, anti LGBTQ, anti human being, anti human being. Yeah, policies that are just complete garbage. Very, very quick extra matraca that, that your story inspired is that friend of the pod, uh, um, our folks at the Trujillo family. Um, I know that they recently were part of organizing a trans prom in Washington, D.C. So just a little glimmer of hope. We'll put information in the show notes so y'all could see that there's, well, at the same time that there's this horrible, horrible force that uh, that's existing, there's also a lot of organizing and a lot of um, people that are celebrating. And I'm very inspired by trans youth that were part of organizing this prom and that are just boldly stepping out in spite of this yeah. environment. So. I mean, it requires so much courage and also I think uh, allies that are that are supporting them. So y'all, yes. we can all be better allies. So I, I agree with your basura, my shitty basura that I was going to put in here that is totally shallow. It's just this gloomy weather. I'm about to go camping and it's <laughs> gloomy as fuck. It's uh, we're, yeah, here we are in, in what I thought was beautiful, sunny in California. I'm sick of the rain. I'm sick of the gloom. I'm ready for some sunshine. I'm ready for my hot girl summer. And uh, I'm just sick of this weather. So basura to the gloomy weather. You know, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is right. your calma? My I'm going to read it. I have two little calmas. Son chiquitas, cortitas. Okay. First, I have a mantra for y'all, which I'm going to read. Um, a mantra. I'm only reading it in Spanish. A mantra. A mantra. I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'm going to read it to you in Spanish. Um, I think this can be really helpful for y'all when you start the day. If you're like, oh, I've got all these things that I want to do. And, you know, sometimes the days go the way they go. Right. So here's my mantra for y'all that y'all can use. So may I hold myself with the same grace and compassion, regardless of what I do and don't accomplish. Mm, that's hard so for me. Take especially. that in, y'all. Take yeah. that in, y'all. You are no less worthy if you did 10 things or five things. So you get to love yourself the same way. And you deserve even more grace when you don't do all your things. Right. Super hard. Super hard. All right. So then my practice that I want to share with y'all. So this is something that 
can be hard, but I'm going to ask everybody to put your hand, stop what you're doing right now. A ver, aquí va. Put your hand on your heart, close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath and then say, I love you and your name. I love you, Anishela. No, me, right? <laughs> you. <laughs> I love you, Brenda. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you so much. How did that feel? It feels pretty good. But you were able to say that so easily, which is beautiful, which means that you have been doing a lot of practice. <laughs> She's calling me self-centered, you No, 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 not at all. <laughs> that you that you that you 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 are able to love yourself because I for some folks that is super super hard. And yes. I remember I wrote about this uh, a few months ago and I thought about it the other day or yesterday. And when I wrote it, like I started crying because there was a lot of acknowledgement around the work that it's taken to be able to feel that way because there's so much that's around us thrives off of us not feeling enough and yeah. not being able to love ourselves. It mm -hmm. makes money off of that, right? So yes. for so for us to be able to do that, especially as queer, as black and brown, all the things be, to be able to do that, it's so important. So if y'all, if you felt any emotions doing that, if you felt resistance, um, we see you, we hear, I don't see you, but we, do <laughs> see you but we do, we, 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 said we see we you, see you we and, see and you I hope our, that, you keep that you keep practicing that until yes. you can say that. And, and even if you keep feeling emotion, that's beautiful too, so. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I don't know if you've seen this season of Queer Eye. Not yet. But there's a beautiful, this is the second episode. I recommend you watch it. And it's very much that, that what you just described. There's um, a person there that um, was really struggling with being able to do that. And yeah. Jonathan, you know, Jonathan, the one with the long hair. Yeah. They yeah. did that exercise for that person and it was extremely difficult. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for always bringing the calma. It's always so helpful. So, muchísimas gracias por tu calma y tu mantra en tu práctica. So, um, mine, I guess a, a couple things. One, I think um, it's just kind of like call a callback to last episode of building community and just yeah. hanging out with people and doing things even if you're afraid like yeah. it is really scary to like hang out with people that you don't hang out with a lot or mm -hmm. i mean at least for me like the yeah. little the, the disco you know the disco in my head says like oh you know they, if they didn't invite you they probably didn't want you there or like you know like yeah. you know all the shit that you say but it was like well every time i hang out with this person it's super fun and i always have a great time i'm just gonna reach out you know just gonna yeah. reach out and so um, I did that a couple of times because I, um, Jeff and Jeff and I spent 24 hours a day together every single fucking day because we <laughs> live and work together. And right. even though it's a joy, I love it. I have so much fun. It's also good to have your, your time away. So he went to a bachelor party and I really wanted to go out. Like I really wanted to go dancing and it was really challenging to me. Like who will I, who, <laughs> who wants to go dancing with me? Who can I, who can I, uh, text and I and I thought of someone and I knew that they would have a good plan and they did and I just I'm I, I really thought I would flake I really thought oh god I could really just cancel at any moment yeah. <laughs> but I talked myself in it and I, I I got a really fun outfit and I'm just proud of myself for going out there yes. you know even though it was like someone that I don't hang out with by myself but yeah. I did yeah it was super fun and just I um same thing with Charlie yeah. hanging out with Charlie you know yeah. like I know that they're here in LA and, and I love their energy yeah and I said you know what let's they're hang out person. you yes. know <laughs> And it was great. So I just want to say, do that. That's that. That's my my uh, calma's throwing my that calma. at y'all. Well, my second Throw calma is because I'm still gonna take advantage of this <laughs> microphone. My second calma is um, I love teaching my class, and so I just want to continue to invite people to come to my class. I teach it Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. at Heartbeat House. It's only eleven dollars. And I'm letting you listeners know about it because no matter where you are on the planet, you can come to my class because it is also live streams. You can watch it wherever you are at 7 a.m. Pacific time. It's super fun. I have a good mix of virtual students and in-person students. Or you could also um, take the class on demand at any time, whenever you want. And it's so much fun, y'all. I have so much fun at this class. What kind of a teacher are you, Brenda? I'm a fun are you teacher. Like, are you like a boot camp teacher? No, it's super fun. Are you fun. like, get down. No, no, it's super fun. It's a high- 10 more push-ups. You'll never know because you're never going to come. But it's a high-intensity <laughs> interval training class. Um, really fun. They're, they're not complicated moves, but we we do a lot of reps and, and it's cardio. So it's a good mix of, of okay. lifting and cardio. And the goal is to keep that heart rate up, like keep it up, but also have resistance. So yeah. it's all about um, toning is really the outcome yeah. when you do that, when it's a lot of repetition right. and the heart rate is up. I feel like I would struggle it's because so because I mostly it's do fun. I mostly do like less reps because I'm trying to, you know, I'm kind of skinny. So like I've been working on the muscle gain. So I've been doing yeah. I've been doing less reps. But you know, what? one day, Brenda, you're not going to come. Knows, so it doesn't matter. We but talk like, about this um, every time. It's super fun. <laughs> but we also do things that like, you know, bulk up as well. So it's yeah. a good mix. But what is different from a regular weightlifting class 
class is that there is that cardio component. Yeah. What is different from an aerobics class is that there is, is that the, weightlifting that's component. That's beautiful. So, so it depends. I mean, you could always go heavier. And yeah, you, you right. Know, you can get bigger variety. weights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I spend a lot. But I, what, what is the most stressful part is like coming up with a playlist every day. Uh -huh. Like every single time. I thought like, what what And you songs? do a new, a new playlist every time? Yes, I do. Oh, shit. Because, you know, I got to mix it up. I got to yeah, keep it fresh with she's the students. Trying to be a, yeah. And I, and I mix up the tempo. So if, the, if we're going to do, there's two ways I teach the class. One is a little faster. Yeah. So I have like a faster beat music for that one. Okay. I put a lot of heart and Play, thought into it. The playlist it. is very important. Oh, it's so in important. Anything, in fitness class, wedding, y'all, the music, the music, music is, is king, queen. Todo. Todo. <laughs> yeah, there, there's got to be, we need to come up with a, a queen. gender. gender. Oh, no, it's queen. I was is trying to. Q-U-I-N-G. Ah, very cool. We have to have a Spanglish version of that. Yes, we do. <laughs> Reine. Okay. Reine. I love All that. All right. Well, All right, with that, y'all, please, um, I want to tell you that it means so much to us when you take the time to write us an Apple, Apple podcast review. We just got a, a, a few love notes and we really appreciate it. What do you want to tell the listeners about this podcast? Lo mismo. Share the episodes, all the things. Please love on us. It means so much to us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, y'all. Ponte un suéter. Besos, abrazos. Ciao. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Anishayla Victorino with production support from Josie Melendez and Augusto Martinez Delgado of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you like our show, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast or share an episode with a friend. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.